With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. It's Friday night. I give you permission to enjoy a beer this evening. But if you're under 18, make it of the root variety. Horvat and Pearson, shorthanded and power play respectively, have scored for the Vancouver Canucks tonight at Rogers Place. About three minutes left in the second period. The Canucks lead the Blues 2-0, trying to go up 2-0 in the series. The Islanders and Capitals just getting underway. The late game tonight here in Edmonton, the Stars and the Flames. A thriller last night. The Flames tied it late. The Stars won it even later. That series now even 1-1. The Colorado Avalanche are up two games to nothing on the Coyotes with a 3-2 win. Burakovsky got the game winner at 17:07 of the third. And the Montreal Canadiens, very, very impressive. Tatar with two, Kotkaniemi with two. Armia also scored. Kotkaniemi, the youngster now up to four goals in the postseason. Carey Price gets the shutout. And the Canadiens beat Philadelphia 5-0 to tie that best-of-seven series 1-1. Carter Hart, the excellent young goaltender from the Edmonton area, pulled in that game. Not sure how much more... He could have done under fire from the Canadians. Took Philadelphia something like 17 minutes to get a shot in this game. And, uh, man, the Canadians looking looking quite deadly, already beating Pittsburgh. And uh, after a close loss to the Flyers in the first game, they take the second game quite convincingly. That one is going to be interesting to watch. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Hope your weekend is off to a great start. You heard the weather there from Thomas Dias. Some heat going to be coming through the area in the next week or so, so that's pretty cool. You can reach out tonight, 780-496-0063 is the number to call. You can also use it to text. all comes in to uh, the same location here. And the email is inside sports at 630ched.com. You get me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. I just have I'm I'm getting these weird flashbacks and and not in like an acid Vietnam type way but I'm I'm getting these weird flashbacks to the Montreal Canadiens last two Stanley Cups in 1986 and 1993. In uh in 1986 it was a 21 team NHL. They uh, had a really young team about a third of their roster were rookies but they had an excellent player in the most important position on the ice in net. Patrick Waugh, who was also a rookie himself that year. And uh, the Canadians got rolling in 1986, and they had to play a couple rounds to get out of the Adams division. In fact, in the second round, they had to go to overtime in game seven against the Hartford Whalers. And I still remember watching this game north of Evansburg, where I grew up. And I've told the story before about how we had we, we called it a rotor. I don't know if it had some technical name or a brand name, or maybe that was the brand name. Probably some of you know what I'm talking about, especially if you grew up in a rural area. But 
and this was we we mainly used it to watch Oilers games because at that time the Oilers were on ITV, the station that would eventually become global. Usually Wednesday night hockey. Well, we got CFRN and CBC pretty much crystal clear out of Edmonton, but we could not get uh, ITV. So we had this device under the TV, and it was just a box that had kind of a big clear plastic dial on it, and it actually pivoted the position of the aerial that was on top of our roof. Hey, and I'm, I'm really sorry for those of you who think I'm speaking a foreign language right now. Uh, people of a certain age hearing only about two TV channels and aerials and poor reception and not. Here's another thing. The, the, the TV was like an actual rectangle. <laughs> but anyway, I, I wish I, this probably rings a bell with some of you. So to watch Oilers games and get clear reception, we had to move the aerial. So I think it was when we watched uh, CBC and CFRN, we have it. We had it facing east, and then I think we had to pivot it to northwest to get ITV because that's where that signal came from because we couldn't get the one out of Edmonton, something like that. So we could also pick up CBC French. Now even with the aerial turned, we couldn't get it that well. But sometimes if um, there was a a Montreal playoff game on and nothing on the main CBC or the Oilers weren't playing, we would pivot the aerial and see if we could get it. So for game seven, we, we use the rotor and, and remember, and this is 1986. So I don't remember the exact day. It would have been the day before or the day after Steve, the Steve Smith own goal, because usually in, in those days, they just alternated Prince of Wales conference on one day, Campbell conference on the next day. Right. So that was the, what the Eastern and Western conferences were called. So we, we spun the aerial and we watched, I think, as best as we could. I don't know if we watched the whole game. Maybe we just moved it for overtime once we found out it was going into overtime. Uh, we watched Montreal and Hartford, and Claude Lemieux scored in overtime, and that set the, the, the Canadians on to the uh, conference finals against the New York Rangers, which they won. And then, of course, it was Calgary that won the Campbell Conference, and the Canadians and Calgary, two kind of second-tier teams in the league that year, who had a lot of young players, and the word around those teams was, well, in three or four years, they're going to be really good, which happened because then in 1989, they were far and away the two best teams in the league and played for the Stanley Cup, which the Flames won. So in 1986, the Canadians had this incredible run. Some other good teams got uh, knocked out along the way, and and they, they won the Stanley Cup. And if, then, of course, the Canadians were a pretty good team for, for quite a while with Wah in net and... Uh, you know, they had Chelios and then he got traded, but they had Desjardins and Schneider and uh, Riche was there. Carbonell was there. I mean, some of these players came and went. And then in 1993, the Canadians have a pretty good team, but they're third in their division and they're playing Quebec in the first round. And generally in the 80s, the Canadians were better than the Nordiques. And certainly in the late 80s and early 90s, much better than the Nordiques. I know the Nordiques did upset Montreal in a couple playoff series, I think in 82 and 85 off the top of my head. But uh, that that was supposed to be the year where it's like, okay, Quebec had had, had this Euler-esque stretch with three number one draft picks and, you know, winning, barely winning 20 games a year. And that was the year 1993 where it's like, okay, Quebec finished ahead of the Canadians and now they're better than the Canadians and this, and they're going to prove it. And sure enough, the, the first game of the series, uh, Montreal was up 2-0 late in the third period. Uh, Quebec got, I believe, two goals in the last three minutes to tie it and won in overtime. And then Quebec won the second game. And the storyline was, yep, it's, it's, it's over. Quebec, 
The Quebec Nordiques are now the team in Quebec. It's no longer the Montreal Canadiens. And then the Canadiens won the last four games of that series, backstopped by, of course, Patrick Waugh. Uh, two of those wins were in overtime. Kirk Muller got the goal, I believe, in game five in Quebec City that gave the Canadians the 3-2 lead. They sweep Grant Fewer and the Buffalo Sabres, winning three of the four games in overtime. They beat the Islanders in five games to win the Wales Conference, winning two of their four games in overtime. And then the LA Kings, Gretzky and the LA Kings and several former Oilers on that team. Kelly Rudy, our weekly guest, was the goaltender. And the Canadians win this kind of unlikely Stanley Cup. And again benefited from some other really good teams being eliminated along the way, primarily the Boston Bruins who lost on the famous Mayday, Mayday, Mayday overtime goal in the, in the first round, which I think it was actually a Buffalo sweep, but still unexpected. And then the David Volek overtime goal that the the Islanders used to beat Pittsburgh in game seven overtime. And the Penguins that year at 1993 were awesome. I like what they won 17 of their final 18 games. They, they were the two time defending Stanley Cup champions. They were supposed to rock. So I, I'm just tying this all together that now, now so the, the last two Montreal Canadian Stanley Cups, these, these relatively unlikely scenarios where they, 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 where they certainly played well and, and really had good players. And as I've said numerous times on the show, if you have a great goaltender, that's the most important position on the ice. And they had Wah, and he won the Conn Smythe Trophy both those years. So I don't want to take anything away from the quality of those teams. But I'm just thinking back to kind of unusual years. They, they got some benefits along the way where they didn't necessarily have to play the, the best teams. Sometimes they wound up with home ice advantage, even though they weren't the top team in their division. So, and now I'm watching, and I know we're two games into the first round, which is actually the second of five rounds. But I'm thinking to myself, like, what if? I mean, there's even, I mean, we know that Edmonton lost to Chicago a week ago tonight, the five against the twelve. The Canadian, the Chicago was 23rd overall. You know, the Oilers were 12th. And, but you could, you know, you could envision it happening. I thought the Oilers were going to win. They didn't. And we'll have some comments from Connor McDavid on the series as we move along tonight. But I could, I could envision Chicago winning the series. I really couldn't envision Montreal being Pittsburgh. 24th against 7th in terms of the standings. Pittsburgh won 40 games. Montreal won 31. You know, like my, if the season had played out in March, if there'd never been a pandemic, and I know that's obviously the biggest what if in the world, but Montreal is nowhere near the playoffs. And now they get in and now they beat Pittsburgh. And watching them play today, watching them play today, you would never think they're, they were the 24th best team in the league. They, they look energetic. They look polished. They look inspired. And they have the goaltending. Claude Julien, their head coach, uh, out with the, with the heart issue. Kirk Muller stepped behind the bench. Oh, there's a connection to 1993. And I'm just watching that game today and how well they're playing. And I flash back to their previous two Stanley Cups. And I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't this be incredible? If this is the year under these circumstances with that team and that franchise that brings the Stanley Cup back to Canada. And I know there's a long way to go. Maybe Philadelphia is going to win the next three games handily because obviously they're pretty good. But we know how unpredictable the NHL postseason can be. And this one more than any other one because there's really not a lot of continuation from what was happening in February and March. They're playing games in neutral sites in the middle of August into September, maybe even into the start of October. And I'm just starting to think, is, is this somehow 
that franchise with all that history, all that magic, is this the year the cup comes back to Canada and under these circumstances, how it's going to happen. That was going through my brain a lot this afternoon. Shelly says, uh, Reed, we lived in Sangudo. ITV came in at my cousin's place. We all ended up there. Namudi says, I hear you, Reed. I used to use two forks and an auxiliary cable to steal a signal. That is awesome. I hope you didn't get electrocuted. Blaine says, so funny, man. CBC 5 and 11 in French. Watch the NHL in French a lot. Norm in a combine. Hope you're doing all right in the combine, Norm. Hope you have air conditioning for next week. Hey, Reed, I won a lot of bets, and then he has bottled in brackets. I won a lot of bets in 93 and the Habs OT run. Loved. And that's another thing about 1993. And I, I'm starting to feel like, like an old man because I, I now work with a lot of people who were born in the 90s and, uh, and, and, are, and are friends with these. I mean, one of, one of my, my best friends right now is, like, is 25. So stuff I, I talk about. Sometimes she's just like, I don't, I don't even understand what you're saying. Like I've had to explain cassette tapes and VCRs. So here, but here's another thing about the 93 Canadians team talking about unusual circumstances and, and Norm will remember that. They won 10 games in overtime. Think about that. They played 20 postseason games. They, they never got pushed back game six. They won in six, four, five, and five. They lost their very first game in overtime to the Nordiques. Then they played 10, like, like even playing 11 overtime games in a stretch of 20 is unlikely in itself. They won 10 of them. The previous record was six for overtime wins in the playoffs by one of the Islanders teams. I can't remember the year. They won 10 games in overtime. So talk about all these unusual circumstances in 90, 1993. We're, we're now talking about it almost 30 years later. You think you look back on it and are like, that is that is crazy. Like if you if I if I'm summing this up in a few minutes for talking to somebody who didn't live through it, they'd be like, what? Wait, what? Pittsburgh? What? What? All, what? And then Montreal was down, and then what? What? Ten wins in overtime? That's that's another factor to that. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three is how you can call or text. The hermit says, "Good evening, Reed. I too grew up with Peasant Vision." Three channels out of Calgary, one out of Edmonton. No rotor, just a pipe wrench to spin the old wishbone antenna. And uh, Kellen Hermit has a request for a song coming back from break. We'll do that tonight. Well, we do it every night, but we got to remind people. 780-496-0063. Text, uh, text a song you'd like to hear coming back from commercial. We prefer uh, guitar rock and uh, no naughty words during the beginning of the song. Richard says, Reed, I love hearing you talk old school. I was laughing so hard, I almost had to pull over. I, uh, I always forget about the young people listening, what they must think of the two-channel universe. Very small portion of the universe, Richard. That, it was Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only like the outer rim in Star Wars where all the scoundrels and scum live. We're back after the break.
right, thanks a lot for tuning in. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is today's code word for our 6.30 Chad Kids Jersey a Day giveaway. It's presented by Mr. Mike's Steakhouse Casual, the official restaurant sponsor of Inside Sports. All week long, we've been giving you the chance to win your kid an Oilers jersey from United Cycle. So now you take the code word of Ryan Nugent Hopkins, or code name in this instance, I suppose. You go to 630Ched.com. You look for the appropriate contest on the contest page. You enter all that stuff in. And it, then maybe you win a jersey for your kid, courtesy Mr. Mike Steakhouse Casual and United Cycle. Good stuff. We've been doing that all week. Thanks to those businesses for getting involved. And thanks to everybody for listening and uh, going to the website and putting the stuff in. There you go. Uh, Josh says, good evening, Reed. I bet you're loving your Montreal pick. Also, great description of the old days trying to pick up a game. I remember having to turn the TV off during the intermission because it got too hot. Oh, wow. I Josh, I don't remember ever have or having an overheating television. And uh, I think, Josh, you're probably referencing that on, on uh, Oilers Now, I picked Montreal to beat Philadelphia. And in the spirit of in-depth analysis, my reasoning was why not? <laughs> I did not pick them to beat the Penguins. I don't, I don't know if I saw anybody pick Montreal to beat them. Like, I, obviously, I'm not, I don't go look at every publication and website in the world for predictions. Uh, NHL.com has about a dozen writers that do their picks, and they had one of them picked Chicago, and other people did pick the Blackhawks. Uh, I, I didn't see anybody pick the Canadians to, uh, to beat Pittsburgh, but I, I just thought, why not pick them to beat the Flyers? They're, they're, they're doing all the little things well, right? And it's not as if they don't, don't have any talent. I mean, uh, Deneau's playing well. Suzuki's playing well. I, I love watching Kotkaniemi and they, Weber and Petrie, two, a couple of pretty good defensemen. And you have Price, and, and they're playing desperate. Even watching today, they're they're up three or four nothing, and guys diving in behind Price to help block shots or cover an open net. So they have a lot of really good things going on. Uh, 780-496-0063 to call or text. Really appreciate it when you get in touch. You're still going to hear from uh, McDavid, Nurse, and Yamamoto. We also have an update on the Alberta Junior Hockey League. They want to have a season. Not sure when it's going to start, and they will be doing some things in place of that here in uh, late August and into September. So we'll get that story from their commissioner, Ryan Bartoshik. this one killed this is called queen of the reich by queen's reich another seattle band that we could have played a couple weeks ago when we were doing our seattle tribute oh, when we had the kraken show we got kraken yeah, this is pretty good that was a good whale there off the top who sent this one in was yeah. this the hermit this is the hermit yeah oh he usually sends in good choices thank you the hermit 780-496-0063 let's update the national hockey league playoff scoreboard it is 2-1 Vancouver leading St. Louis after two periods at Rogers Place. The Blues on the board with a goal from O'Reilly. His first of the playoffs. Capitals lead the Islanders 1-0. Five minutes left in the first period. Ovechkin scored 56 seconds into the game. Stars and Flames will get going at 8.30. The uh, Avalanche knocked off the Coyotes 3-2. 
So they lead that series two games to nothing. And uh, as I was talking about in the first half hour of the show, the Montreal Canadiens, quick out of the gate, all over the Flyers early. Well, really pretty much all over them the entire game. Five nothing, Montreal beating Philadelphia. So that series is even at one. Tomorrow, just quick look ahead if you want to plan your Saturday. It starts at 10 a.m. Edmonton time with the Bruins and the Hurricanes. One o'clock, Avs and Coyotes. 5.30, Lightning and Blue Jackets. Uh, Six o'clock, Golden Knights and Blackhawks. That is what on is on tap for, for tomorrow. I should mention as well, you may have seen this highlight today on uh, on a sports show or online. Uh, Alfonso Davies, who spent uh, part of his childhood in Edmonton. This is the soccer star who plays for Bayern Munich, who is still 19 years of age. He doesn't turn 20 until November 2nd. Uh, and uh, you know his story. We uh, we haven't had him on the show as a guest. He was he did do a scrum at an Oilers game. He came through this past season. He uh, played first played organized soccer with free footy. Of course, we've talked to Tim Adams about that several times. Does a great job running free footy. He uh, played for uh, Edmonton Internationals, Edmonton Strikers. He went to join the Vancouver Whitecaps as a residency player at the age of 14 in 2015. Uh, born in Ghana. Uh, came to, I can't remember how, yeah, I think he was five when he came to Edmonton. So lived here from when he was five to 14, basically full time. So his formative years as a soccer player right here in Edmonton, a spectacular setup today for Bayern Munich as they crushed Barcelona eight, two in a champions league quarterfinal. And this play uh, down the left side, one direction, another direction back in the first direction, steaming down the left side, getting the ball in front for the goal. An absolute, I mean, I'm not going to do you justice describing it, but uh, give it. A, if you haven't seen it already, look it up when, when you get home or when you're near the computer. It'll certainly be on the highlight shows tonight. Alfonso Davies, and remember that. He started playing soccer right here in Edmonton. That is pretty cool. 780-496-0063. Deepak's on the line. Deepak, go ahead. Hi, Reed. Good evening. How are you? Good. Good. It's an honor to be on the line with you. I read two two quick points. Like uh, other Oilers fans, I'm real choked up that the uh, Blackhawks are down two nothing and are going to get swept fairly soon. And, How are you? Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my second point, Reed, is I don't know. I think I read on Sportsnet today or something about how they're asking McDavid and Drysaddle to be defensive leaders. I don't get that. Those boys are there to score. If they want defense, you know, they got to get equivalents. I might be dating myself, but they got to get equivalents like Charlie Huddy or Paul Coffey and a, a stay-at-home defenseman and offensive defenseman. You know, these uh, Clefbaum and Nurse are good for giving up uh, pucks, but I don't see they have the same pedigree as those guys. What do you think, Reed? Well, here's here's what I think is, is, is happening with, with some of that stuff, and... Uh, Mark Spector from Sportsnet kind of uh, focused, made that the focus of his story a few days ago. McDavid spoke today. I'm going I'm to get to those clips. I think that the teams that ultimately succeed, especially in the playoffs, have to commit to team defense, and that includes the forwards. So when I look at the Oilers' loss to Chicago, I think that team defending was a part of it. It wasn't all McDavid. It wasn't all Dreisaitl. I think Speck is making the point that as those with those two guys being the leaders on the team and being offensive players, that if they play defense, it's going to spur everybody else to do it. I don't think it's realistic to expect Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl to turn into Guy Carboneau or Craig McTavish or some of the great checking players of the past. 
I, I do think that, like anybody else, they can improve. And specifically with McDavid, the one thing I would like to see McDavid get out of his game is the flybys on defense. When he's, ba- when he's back checking and he's in the right spot, but then he's fishing for the puck and not stopping. And, and I, I talked to a couple of ex-NHLers this week after the Oilers series. Actually, I've talked to more than two, now that they think about it. And they all said, and they, 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 they're not just saying with David and Dreisaitl, they're including a lot of the forwards, that when you play defense, especially in the playoffs, it's all about getting to the position you need to be in and stopping there and occupying that spot. Like You have to be willing to start and stop. And that takes a lot of energy and that takes a lot of concentration, but it's ultimately how you lock down the defensive zone. And one of the ex-players I talked to specifically said, watch the Columbus Blue Jackets play. They just suffocate you when you have the puck in their end of the rink. So I, I don't pin all of this on McDavid and Dreisaitl. I, do I think they can improve defensively? Yes. McDavid said today that he has to improve, but I do think it's team defense. And I do think the Oilers' defense core can be better. I think Clefbaum had had a poor series. I do think he's a good player. Uh, I think uh, I think Nurse is, is, is a good player. I thought his last two games weren't as strong because he had to play more. But I, I'd like to see somehow, and it's easier said than done, if the Oilers had a couple other players that could go back and get the puck and start it up ice – like Ethan Bear could do, that would also help their defending, so to speak, because they wouldn't be in their own end as, as long. So, Deepak, that's a very long-winded answer to your question. Hopefully that covered off what you were thinking about, but that's that's how I look at it. Okay, Reed, great. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot for calling. 780-496-0063. Uh, I brought up Alfonso Davies' spectacular goal today. I also wanted to uh, touch on, this is just one of these th- things that, makes you well i was gonna say scratch your head not scratch your head but it kind of makes you realize where hockey truly sits in the north american sports rankings kelly olenek who is a canadian basketball player played his 500th nba game today he's uh from british columbia i got to interview him a couple years ago when he was in edmonton as a guest instructor at jordan baker's clinic so that was pretty cool to talk to him 28 years of age Uh, from Kelowna, originally played for the Celtics. He's been with the Heat for the last three seasons. So he got to 500 career games. Uh, Kelly Olenek plays about, well, for his career, he's he's played 21 minutes a game. So that's less than half the game. And we all know that in in the NBA, it's not like, hockey where you know in in the nba your two or three best players play almost the entire game and then your fourth and fifth best players still play a lot so you know on the miami heat this year kelly olenic would probably be their eighth best player maybe i'm even being a little generous like he has a role and i think he's relatively good at it kelly olenic's annual salary is the same as Connor mcdavid's now, basketball is also structured differently. There are fewer players on a team. But I think it shows you how much bigger the money is in the NBA, the NFL, and uh, and certainly Major League Baseball, especially if you're a good pitcher, than, than it is in the National Hockey League. Like, think about that. The eighth best player on the Miami Heat makes the same annual salary as the biggest nuclear weapon in the National Hockey League. So just kind of a side note but uh, something to keep in mind. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. Uh, We had a good call there from Deepak asking a question about some of the discussions surrounding the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Three members of the Oilers spoke today via Zoom. 
So they were, we're not all on the line together. Oh, thanks, Doug. Uh is from Kamloops. I appreciate that, Doug. Thanks for correcting me. I, I don't want to mix up the BC cities. Uh, Kelly Linick from Kamloops. My apologies. I'm glad you wrote in. That is from Doug. Um, so where was I going here? So Connor McDavid spoke, Darnell Nurse spoke, Kyler Yamamoto spoke. They all did it separately. Um, they were all... I don't know how to put this. I mean, look, they're doing they're doing more interviews on a season that was incredibly disappointing in the end, a week after it ended. Originally, we heard that the Oilers players weren't going to do any more media availabilities. They made these three guys available today. Um, you know, McDavid off the top was kind of said, I, I, I just, I don't have an explanation for you about where the energy was. I, I'm not really sure yet what went wrong. Uh, I, I haven't, spent too much time thinking about what went wrong. And, and then he was asked as a follow-up, so when, when do you start sort of reflecting on the season? When do you try to do the uh, so-called deep dive into why it didn't work out in the playoffs? Here's what he said. Yeah, I think uh, like anyone, you just need to take time. I mean, it's easy for fans and media to sit back and and, uh, and want to diagnose and, and want to uh, you know, get right down to it. But you know, as a player, um, you know, it's, it's it's a little different. You need a break. You need to relax and, and you know try to uh, try to um, you know look at it with with uh, you know more of a clear head. I think you know when it's so when it's so sudden, it's very easy to be frustrated and very easy to uh, you know you're just not thinking clearly. So I think you know you need to clear your head first and look back at it and. You know, take the positives, take the negatives, and, and uh, you know, figure out what, uh, what what exactly went wrong. All right, so that's uh, that's Connor McDavid. So that's how he says he's approaching that. We'll we'll hear more about uh, more from him. He was asked about the defensive play. He had a very specific answer to that. I want to call a quick timeout here. We're going to bring in Ryan Bartoshik when we get back. He's the commissioner of the Alberta Junior Hockey League, and they made some announcements today about their future. We'll let you know what's happening in the fall with the AJ. Canucks looking good 3-1 lead on the Blues 12 and a half minutes to go in the third period we'll keep you updated there one nothing caps over the Islanders that is after one that one uh, being played in Toronto well the Alberta Junior Hockey League like many leagues with a bit of an uncertain future though they did announce some details today and uh, they are hoping to get back into action with the details the commissioner of the AJHL Ryan Bartoshik. Ryan, how are you doing? Thanks, Reed. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for hopping on tonight. Obviously, the AGHL with uh, with an announcement today about the regular season and a development season. Uh, can you kind of give us the nuts and bolts of what that's going to involve? Yeah, un- unfortunately, due to current restrictions, we can't initiate our regular season. Um, given those restrictions on on mass gatherings within indoor spaces, as well as the interaction between sporting cohorts, so. With, with those in place, um, we're moving forward here with, with a development season under existing guidelines and, and restrictions and having our athletes come into our, our communities to, to develop and um, essentially form sporting cohorts. 
So with with the development season, what, if any, is the potential for some sort of competition or exhibition games? I mean, I know I've talked to other teams and leagues that might not play seasons, but they might be able to play some form of games. How possible is that with the AJ in the fall? Yeah, it is It is possible, and, and those conversations and, and dialogue are, are taking place right now. And, um, you know, credit credit to, to the Alberta government and, and the Premier's office and, and Alberta Health for, for being open with us. Um, you know, we've been talking to the same people uh, that worked on the NHL bubble and, and have been working with the Western Hockey League. So, um, you know, credit to them to, for being open and honest with us and, and decisions have been, been made uh, based off those conversations. So, you know, the opportunity may exist here down the road and, and proposals can be put in front of, of those groups to potentially have, you know, a Sherwood Park and a Spruce Grove compete within a cohort. Um, there would obviously be some guidelines around that um, as far as when they could compete again after um, their competition between those two teams. So, for example, um, if they had a cohort of 50 between those two teams, they played uh, back-to-back, uh, they would, we would have to be in a scenario where there would have to be a time period um, most likely of 14 days before Sherwood Park could play Drayton Valley. So those are the some some of the conversations we're having right now as far as the opportunity to have some form of competition. Okay. I, I know in the past we've talked about that the AJ, like a lot of leagues, you need fans, you need to have at least some people in the arena to make it viable. Is there also a threshold for a minimum number of games that, that you would like to play? Clearly, some leagues have had to explore shortened seasons. Uh, do you guys have, I don't know if it's X number, where you'd have to play at least this many number of games to make the season realistic? Yeah, our, our length of season is ultimately dictated by, by the timeline for the national championship. So that national championship is scheduled for... Penticton in late May this season so right now there's discussion on whether that event is is going to happen or potentially if that could be pushed back so you know that would realistically set our timeline to have a season Uh, right now under you know under current models if we crowned an AJHL champion at the end of May uh, and started in early December we could we could get in about 42 to 44 regular season games have a full playoff and and crown a champion so those conversations are happening right now and and we have to be conscious about our communities and and our facilities and just those relationships as we move forward so obviously it's a priority that our athletes are safe and and the communities are safe Um, and so those will those will be key points here as we move forward throughout this development season. Okay, Ryan Bartoshik, Commissioner of the AJHL, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. I'll just kind of leave it open at the end, Ryan, uh, before we go. Yeah, you have a lot of fans, a lot of sponsors, and obviously a lot of players, coaches, and parents throughout the province. Uh, just in case I'm missing any any key points or there's something you want to make sure they hear, I'll kind of leave it open to you here. Yeah, thanks, Reed. And, and obviously everyone's anxious to, to get back and, and get back to some form of normal, but... You know, given given circumstances, uh, right now we've we've moved to this development season uh, within you know existing government guidelines and existing um, hockey Alberta and, and hockey Canada guidelines. So, and you know, in no way is there any form of of an exemption here for for the AJHL. And um, you know, we've we've pivoted to to this development season in order to have our athletes 
you know, come into our communities and, and teams and, and form our, our sporting cohorts under existing restrictions. So, you know, again, it'll just showcase our league and, and our, our staff and uh, the ability for our coaches to really develop these athletes. So, um, obviously, we'd love to be saying we're starting a, a September 18th regular season, but, uh, and, you know, in the best interest of, of safety and, and our communities for everyone, um, we're going to move forward here with this development season. Okay. Well, I wish you the best with that, Ryan, and hopefully in the uh, weeks and months to come we're, we're talking to to you about actual games and talking to some of your coaches and players around the league as well. Thanks so much for checking in on Inside Sports tonight. Yeah, I appreciate it, Reed. Have a good night. Thank you. Right on. Always great to talk to Ryan. Ryan Bartoshik, the commissioner of the Alberta Junior Hockey League. So he gave you the nuts and bolts. They uh, are going to have uh, training camps for development season starting on August 31st, first in all 15 AJHL communities. And as he said, they got to see how it goes with uh, getting back to playing, the possibility of maybe cohorting with another team to get in some some competition. And as he said, maybe they could play, if they got to shorten the season, play in the low 40s in terms of the number of games played. And still the calendar goes to get through the interprovincial playdowns and then the Royal Bank Cup for the uh, national championship. So there you go. Good update there from Ryan. St. Louis scored a couple of minutes ago. So now Vancouver leading the Blues 3-2 with nine and a half minutes left in the third period. We will keep you updated on that one. Blaine writing in. Uh, This is a good one, Blaine. He says... uh, I, I, I assume he was talking about some of our remembrances of watching games on television when we were, well, when I was a kid in the 80s on snowy television reception. Uh, Blaine says, I remember watching the Edmonton Oil Kings at the Edmonton Fieldhouse. My seat was behind one of the pillars. Dad tried to keep me in my seat. He couldn't. That is from Blaine. The Edmonton Fieldhouse. That predates me, Blaine. So was that? Someone's gonna have to help help me out here. Was because didn't they play the old Oil Kings? Were they not in the Agricom or was it the Edmonton Garden? So was there also something called the Edmonton Fieldhouse? I gotta admit that that predates me. So you guys will have to help me out, or Blaine, you can uh, give me clarification there. That's pretty cool though. Cool memory. Thanks for sharing that. Also got a text here from Mario who says, Reed, I'm getting tired of everybody picking apart the Oilers' season. They play bad in four games in very strange circumstances. I heard you talking about maybe Montreal winning the Stanley Cup. That shows how irrelevant this summer's tournament is. Wake me for the next season. (laughs) That is from Mario. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.